the arrangements on the communion table today. I don't know if you realize, Willa had a friend, Marilyn, who just recently went through a shoulder surgery and really came through in flying colors, and she's home now. There were some health concerns about that going in, and um, God has been faithful to answer that prayer in their lives. And again, these were left uh, here by the uh, Wainer family. I could smell them when I was sitting out there this morning. They really do smell good. It's, and don't you enjoy the beauty of what God's created and just such variety even in those arrangements. Well, I want to begin this morning a, a series from the book of Joshua. Um, Joshua is one of my favorite biblical characters. I have a few of those, but he's, he's a close to the top of the list. He and Caleb. Um, uh, and uh, you're, I think most of you are probably aware Joshua, or the book of Joshua is an Old Testament book. Um, and the Old Testament speaks in pictures. The New Testament speaks in principles. Someone has said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Um, the book of Joshua is a story of conquest and fulfillment for the people of God. It revolves around the promised land, the battle for that land, and the occupying of it. But if you think Joshua is only about cities and people and real estate, and the skirmish is necessary to possess that real estate, you'll miss its message. So why the book of Joshua? Well, uh, the Apostle Paul actually speaks to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And I just want to read the last verse of that passage. I'll let you read the rest at, at your leisure. In verse 11 it says, These things happened to them, the Israelites, as examples and were written down as warnings to us. So the Apostle Paul is saying, there is something to be learned in the book of Joshua that we can apply to our own lives right now. And I hope in these next weeks to bring those things uh, to the surface, things that we can see in the book of Joshua that we can apply to our lives right now, things that we can learn from. There are important Lessons for the people of God to be learned from the book of Joshua. Well, um, the, the, I think the first heading this morning is a change of leader, leadership, vetting Joshua. I, I chose that terminology because, especially with the recent elections and, you know, um, uh, congressional approval of, of cabinet members, there is always, you hear about the vetting process, don't you? Um, that person wasn't properly vetted, and now we realize there were some problems there and things like that. So we're going to vet Joshua this morning before we move on. The book of Joshua begins with the words, After the death of Moses. There's a leadership change taking place. And the man who had led, led Israel for 40 years and brought them once again to the doorstep of the promised land is now gone. He's dead. God's workmen die. 
Leadership changes, but God's work continues. Sometimes it's difficult to, to realize that nothing of God dies when a, a spiritual leader dies. God does not change when leadership dies or changes. So the very next words are, The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. By the way, I mean, I'm sure Nun meant something different to the Israelites, but how would you like your name to be Nun? Oh, and I was, you know, I talked earlier before our, um, before we received your tithes and offerings. I could not remember the names of those craftsmen. Oholiab and Bezalel. Those were the guys that God gave the ability to construct all these things necessary for the tabernacle. You know, we have a grandson named Brigan, and we kind of created that name, and it's not unusual for People now who have babies to... Well, we're kind of going back now to some of the names that were popular back then, like Ellen and Helen and, you know, I don't know if they're using Gertrude and Bertha again or not, but um, or Maud or things like that. But I'm just thinking, if you've got a boy in the works here, I'd take a look at Bezalel and Aholiab. <laughs> Something different. Maybe not, huh? <laughs> Maybe you don't want to go to school with one of those names. Sid was bad enough. I got called Cindy all the time. You have a girl's name. And then my brother named his daughter Sydney, so I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, the Lord said Joshua to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. So the mantle of leadership has now been placed on Joshua. Man, what a big job. We, do, do you remember what happened the first time they tried to go in the land? Failure. Remember, they sent in all these spies and they came back and said, wow, it is the land of milk and honey and, the, you know, the grapes are this big, but, hey, the people are bigger and there's fortified cities and there's just no way except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. That's why I included Caleb in this thing. I just admire those guys. They Remember the picture of the fish going against the flow? That's what they did. But they weren't listened to. And so now we're 40 years later. 40 years later. Um, the mantle of leadership has changed. Moses is now gone. Joshua is to lead. And it may seem that Joshua's call was sudden as though it was very spontaneous. But the truth is, God spent many years preparing Joshua to become a leader. So, let's take a few moments to vet Joshua. Now, to vet someone is to do a thorough examination of their background. Let's begin with this question. What do we know of Joshua previous to the book that bears his name? I mean, there's a lot about the book of, uh, about Joshua in the book of Joshua, obviously. But what do we know about Joshua previous to the book that bears his name? Well, I've already mentioned the fact that he was one of the 12 spies sent out 40 years previously to scout out the land of Canaan. And he and Caleb were the only ones that brought back a good report. 
By the way, do you, do you remember what the response of the people was to them when they brought back a good report? Pardon? Yeah! They were going to stone him. We don't want to hear it. And they, they stood strong. But it was kind of the will of the people and everybody voted, no, let's not go in. And so they got to take a few more trips around the mountain, 40 years worth. Now, in Numbers, uh, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 8, we find out that um, Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. And did you know that his name wasn't always Joshua? He was renamed by Moses. He was originally, if you read in uh, Numbers 13, 8, he was, he was named Hosea. And, and, these, uh, and in, in that verse it says, These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Moses renamed him. Um, Hosea means salvation. Not a bad name. Joshua means the Lord saves or the Lord is victory. Now, Joshua is the English translation of the name. The Hebrew translation of that name is Yeshua. Do you remember when Greg Sabbath was here a few weeks ago? He referred to Jesus as Yeshua. Same name. The Greek form of the name Joshua and Yeshua is Jesus. I want to, want to stop here for a minute. Because I see a lot of parallels between the book of Joshua and what he was called to do in possessing the land, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, and what Jesus was called to do when God sent him as a baby in Bethlehem to grow up as a man and give his life for us on Calvary's tree. Joshua was called to possess a land physically. I want you to go in, I want you to inhabit the land. Jesus was called to possess the land spiritually. Do you remember one of the things that Jesus said about the reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil? He came to possess the land spiritually. And I might even, probably will, uh, do a series on how Jesus possessed the land one of these days. In Numbers 11.28, it tells us that Joshua was Moses' aide since his youth. Numbers 11.28 Joshua was Moses' aide since his youth. So he was like an apprentice to Moses. He was with him all the time. And we'll find out uh, that's true uh, as, as we move through here. In Exodus chapter 17, it says that Joshua was chosen to lead the army against the Amalekites. That's the story, remember, of where Moses held up his hands? And Joshua was out there with the army fighting the Amalekites. And if, if Moses' hands came down, the Israelites lost. If his hands were up, they were victorious. That's the scene. That's the time when Joshua was chosen to lead the army. In Exodus 24, 
It says that Joshua goes up on the mountain of God with Moses. This is when Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Did you know Joshua was there too? He was. In Exodus 32, it says, when they came down from the mountain, Joshua thought he was hearing the noise of war in the camp. Do you know what was actually going on then? Do you remember? The, the golden calf and the idol and the people were celebrating. In fact, jo- Joshua says, I think we're hearing the noise of war in the camp. And, and Moses says, no, that sounds like celebration to me. And they get down there and find out that they made the golden calf and, well, it's a big mess. Joshua was there with Moses when he came down off the mountain. Exodus 33, verse 11. Exodus 33, 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Wow. Then Moses would return to the camp. You know where, know where God was speaking to Moses? It was in the tabernacle. And they built a tabernacle outside the camp. And, and Moses would go out there and he would speak to God and get instructions for the people. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Did you know that? Wow. Did you know that Moses did not choose Joshua for leadership? God did. Numbers 27, Numbers 27, verses 15 through 18. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. That sounds like something you might hear in the New Testament. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. And so he was anointed to be the leader of God's people, Israel. This is the man who would be leading God's people into the land of milk and honey. Did you learn anything about Joshua? Did, I think we got him vetted, don't you? Now, here we stand. I mean, they'd been here before, but here we stand again on the banks of the Jordan River. We're ready to try again to go into the land of promise. And at this point, God makes three promises to Joshua. And the first is this. God promised His presence. As I was with Moses in verse 5, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it repeats the promise again in verse 9. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now that had to be pretty encouraging for Joshua to hear. He and the Israelites were facing an immense challenge in taking the land. And Joshua knew that they had not always been particularly successful in following God's instructions up to this point. He was probably saying, I need God to go with me. 
So it was encouraging for him to know that God's presence was promised no matter what happened. In Exodus 24, we read about an earlier time when Joshua went up on the mountain with Moses. There he witnessed God speaking to Moses, and Joshua knew that God was with Moses because of what he had witnessed happen between God and Moses and the things that Moses had done as his leadership of the people. So it really meant something powerful to him when he was told, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Just think of some of the things Moses is able to do because God was with him. Remember a time when they were thirsty and he said, I want you to take your rod and tap the rock and have it will come water. The people were complaining, we don't have anything to eat out here. And and God said, Moses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them something to eat. By the way, manna, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I want meat, quail, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Manna and quail, manna and quail, manna and quail. Moses was a powerful man of God, and for Joshua to hear those words, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses, had to be incredibly encouraging to him. You know, do you ever get to thinking sometimes that it feels like God is a million miles away? God's somewhere up there, and I'm down here, and at this moment I'm not sure He's even where I exist. If I can't see Him or feel Him, He must not be with me. Well, it's not true. Just as Joshua claimed God's promise for His abiding presence, we too can claim the promise that He has made us. And here's what Jesus said. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God also promised Joshua his power. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Here's a New Testament parallel. Romans 8, 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Joshua and the, and the Israelites certainly needed God's power for the great task of taking the promised land. Nothing had really changed since their initial spying mission of the land 40 years previous. The people who lived there were still powerful. The cities, the cities were still large and fortified, and frankly, they were outnumbered. Think of all the, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the otherites that all lived out there. But God had promised His power. But something was required of the Israelites in order for them to receive the benefit of God's power. His almighty strength didn't work for them while they sat east of the Jordan River. Doing nothing. There was something they had to possess. Back to verses 3 and 4 of Joshua chapter 1. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert 
to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. But guess what? You have to go in and possess it. You will not see my power at work unless you go and possess the land. Sitting here on the east bank of the Jordan, it's going to be the same old thing, folks. You want to see my power at work? Do what I tell you to do. Go in and possess the land. Which leads us to the third promise. God promised a possession. They had to possess the promise. God said, I will give you what I have promised, but you must take the possession. You must take possession of what I have promised. See, there is God's side and there is the human side. The promise of God is one thing. Possessing the promise is another. The one has to do with what God does. The other has to do with what man does. God promised a land, but man had to take the land. I suppose there might have been some in the in that great population of Israelites who were thinking, you know, why doesn't God just go in and kind of take care of things and we'll move in and, you know, we'll move into their houses. and we'll... But God didn't... No, He said, you've got to be involved in this process. There are going to be some challenges to face, some obstacles to overcome. That's why you're going to need my power, but you need to go in and possess the land. And you know, as Christians, we have something from God that we too can possess. God brought the Israelites to the border of the promised land and He said, this is what I want you to have. Take it. But you have to take it. God has good things for us and He's saying, this is what I want you to have. Take it. But God is not going to force us, force on us what we will not take. And we have to be careful in how we interpret this. Some would say that the good things God promises us are all about health and wealth. You know, name it and claim it. Here's what I think. There are a host of deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ all around our planet, that enjoy neither health nor wealth. Well, it must be a lack of faith. <laughs> no. Now, I'm not doubting that God can bless us with those kinds of things, but that is not what He has promised. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, here it is, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is our heritage as the children of God. It's already there, every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, and if we move ahead, if we moved ahead today into Joshua chapter 2, it would tell us that two spies were sent to look over the land. Joshua said, he sent in two this time. I want you to look, get the lay of the land. Look things over for us. They wanted to know what they were going to possess. 
Do we know what we are supposed to possess? What are our spiritual blessings? Think about that for a moment. What are our spiritual blessings? Do any of you read Daily Bread? This morning's devotional talked about that. Audience participation time. What are our spiritual blessings? Forgiveness. Love. Joy. Patience. Grace. Peace. Redemption. Justification. Always with us. Victory over death. Yes! And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, we could quote right now the fruits of the Spirit. Those are spiritual blessings. Spirit, spiritual, yes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've been redeemed. Our sins are forgiven. We have the hope of eternal life. We can experience life that's truly life, life right now. We have freedom from fear and, and the power of sin over our lives. I mean, the list goes on and on. Those folks are the spiritual blessings that God has promised us. And we, just like Joshua and the people of Israel, we need to possess those things. We can choose not to have them. God's not going to say, well, you're taking the whole load whether you like it or not. It's our heritage as children of God. They're already there, every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you know what? There's no limit to what God would have allowed them to have in the land of Canaan. He was essentially saying to them, every bit of the promised land that your foot lands on will be yours. Take it. But to do that, they had to be committed to moving forward, didn't they? They had to believe that the land was theirs for the taking. See, that's where they failed 40 years earlier. God had said... This is the land I promised you. And when ten spies came back and said, you know what it is, it's great over there. There's everything you could want, but boy, I'm telling you, the, the people are fierce, they're big, they're mean. And their cities, large and well fortified. We can't do it. But God said, you can take the land, it's yours, I promised you. Yeah, but we can't do it. And two guys had a voice. You know, they were the only ones that survived the 40 years, don't you? And so once again, we're at the threshold of the promised land. But they had to be committed this time to moving forward. They had to believe that the land was theirs. Keep moving forward. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I keep moving forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It has meaning and application for our lives as well. Folks, we need to keep moving forward. Do you know the armor of God? Know about the armor of God? Do you know that there's nothing to protect your backside? 
And that whole list, there's nothing to protect your backside, folks. We're intended to move forward. Remember that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Sometimes I think we feel like somehow we're going to be able to, to overcome the onslaught of the gates of hell. No, gates don't. They don't attack. Gates are a defensive structure. And you have to attack the gate if you're going to overcome it. You're going to have to move forward if you're going to possess the land. Say, Pastor, that makes sense. (laughs) We have to press on. We have to move forward. Certainly, the Israelites had some challenges to face. Again, some obstacles to overcome, some battles to fight. But God promised that if they move forward, if they set their feet on new territory, it would be theirs. So how do we possess what God has promised? Well, we face the future with courage. In both verses 7 and 9, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. How do we do that? Why can we do that? Well, we can do that because God is with us. Even, even Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. There it is all over again. It's, to, it's, it's important for us too. It's important to, to, to the people in the Old Testament. It's important to the people in the New Testament. It's important to the people who live in the 21st century. We still have to be strong and courageous. Remember, I think I mentioned something in my prayer this morning about the apostles of old when they were told to shut up and say nothing more about Jesus by the leaders of the people, by the religious big dogs. And they went back and they prayed and and the Holy Spirit came and and God gave them a, a boldness and a courage to keep speaking the name of Jesus. How could they do that? God was with them. That's how they did that. Um, one of the songs we sang this morning, I will fear no evil, for my God is... Huh. Funny how God puts that stuff together, huh? So we, go, we, we face the future with courage. And hey, we've got some challenges as a church body, don't we? And we could say, there's giants out there. The cities, they're large and they're fortified. We're outnumbered. And we don't like battle. God says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. Move forward. The second thing we need to do to possess the land is we obey God's word. Verse 7, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And boy, that was... That was a principle that God was reaffirming to their lives. I mean, he'd been saying it all along. You can choose to obey me and be blessed, 
Or you can choose to disobey me and, and bear the consequences of that. So a basic in God's blessing and presence and power with us is obedience. Do what He tells you. In this case, it was go into the land and possess it. I mean, here we are, the children of Israel, sitting in the exact spot where they were 40 years earlier. Back then, they'd been on the threshold of the promised land too. And God gave them the word, take the land. And they didn't do it. They disobeyed. They backed off. See, the armor's on the front and we're turning away from the promised land. We're pretty vulnerable now, aren't we? And God said, you've made your choice. Back to the desert for 40 years. And that entire generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died in the desert. Pretty tough consequences. And so now, here we are at the Jordan River again, and God says, here we are again. What choice will you make this time? And folks, we can have all the courage in the world, but God will not go with us if we are disobedient. We cannot make spiritual progress beyond the point of our disobedience. 1 John 3.24 The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. That's the promise of God's power and presence if we keep his commands. Well, I don't like those conditions. <laughs> and then finally, we take it one step at a time. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 and 30, Exodus 23, 29 and 30, it says this, God speaking, but I will not drive them out, speaking of the Canaanites and all those ites, Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites, Gibeonites. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, in verse 30 he says, little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Step by step, folks. Step by step. You know, um, we met recently with uh, a representative from Child Evangelism Fellowship when we're talking about partnering with them for our Vacation Bible School this year. Wonderful organization. But I really appreciated what Sandy Shanker, who was the person who came and talked to us, said. Do not expect overnight success. This is a process. They didn't get to go in and just sweep over the land and take it in one day or one month or one year. It was step by step, city by city. And folks, that's what it is for us too. Step by step. 
city by city, life by life, one step at a time. You know, they say those who look at church growth, slow growth is the best kind of growth. When you get this sudden stuff, it tends to drop just as suddenly sometimes. But if it's step by step, life by life at a time, that's the kind of growth that is lasting, that is enduring. And we need to understand that that's what, what God is calling us to. We seek His face. He says, here's the first step. This is what I want you to do. And that's the step we take. We seek His face. And He says, this is the second step. And that's what we do. And he's, we seek His face. And He says, here's the third step. Here's the next thing I want you to do. And that's what we do. City by city. Life by life. The children of Israel took the land one city at a time. And as we live in obedience to God's Word, He takes us along our spiritual journey as individuals and as a church body, step by step. That's how we possess all that God has for us. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. It's an exciting book. Some exciting things happen. Yeah. And if you haven't read the book of Joshua recently, I'll just tell you they didn't bat a thousand. There were still some glitches along the way, but some exciting things happened because they moved forward and because God was with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and how it instructs our lives, how it challenges us. Sometimes I think we think, well, that stuff happened thousands of years ago. Oh God, but people have not changed. People have not changed. And you're still calling us to move forward and to trust in you and to obey you and to experience your power at work in our lives as we possess what you have given us to take. It is ours if we will move forward in obedience. Lord God, in these coming weeks... I pray that we'll learn the lessons we need to learn and that we'll strengthen our faith. And Lord God, as we sense that we are on the threshold of something new that you have for us, a land to possess, that Father, we will choose, we will choose to place our feet on new territory. Believing that as we're obedient, you will go with us. And Father, we'll see great, exciting things happen among your people and in those you want us to bless. I ask now, Father, that you will go with us from this place. May your grace and peace rest upon each one of this, us. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you for being with us today. God bless you as you go. No, 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 no.